Okay, hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Building Bridges. Uh, I have a special guest with me today. I'm joined by a good friend, Pastor Robert Brody of New Danville Church. Ro welcome Robert and thanks for joining me today. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Greg. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, we've been trying to do this for what it seems like months. It has been months, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. been busy and yeah, crazy. I COVID really got in the way, didn't it? I, it certainly got in the way. I, yeah. I think that's it's disrupted many things for sure. There's yeah. been a lot of challenges. Yeah, it has been. Uh, uh, I don't know if you can share this with me or not, but being a pastor, uh, I'm sure that you know you may have seen some illness, you know, or maybe even some death. Have you seen any of that? Uh, well, of course, being a pastor, it's something we, we do deal with on a regular basis. We visit the sick, and, and we're obviously there for funerals, and uh, of course, uh, more uplifting things like weddings, et cetera, too. Yeah. But yeah, that's a reality. Now, I haven't had a lot of uh, interaction with people with COVID. I've known a few, and I know a few people that have seen deaths in the family due to it. Uh, but thankfully for us, we, we've done pretty well through it. But we are taking precautions, obviously. Yeah, good. And the reason why I asked is because, you know, like in uh, social media and, and even on uh, certain news organizations, we'll sit there and say it's a hoax and it doesn't exist and, you know, people aren't getting sick. And, you know, I personally really don't know anybody firsthand that actually seen it and knows what it's like. So uh, I'm, I'm glad you were willing to share that. I really am. Uh, oh, yeah, I appreciate so. that. You know, we had a lot of talks in the church itself because we had to decide how we'd move forward. Like many churches, we went virtual for a while and uh, were on Zoom meetings, et cetera. But there came a point where we knew we wanted to get back together. Right. But how do you do that in a safe way? So within our own church board, you know, we have some people that uh, are in the medical field and are dealing with it every day. So it was a reality. Uh, I, I think it, it would be hard to deny that the virus is here. I think the big challenge for many is what impact is it really having versus other viruses versus what we normally face? And beyond that, you know, what is our reaction to it? Or, or how, you know, what are we responsible for? You know, cause right. I, I think many people walk into this and go, well, I, I, I don't want to wear a mask or I must wear a mask. And, I think the question we have to ask is, what responsibility do we have in society to help one another? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, protect your neighbor. Exactly. Yes. You know, wear a mask. Yes. And you it know. was even interesting for us, um, because even within our congregation, there were varying opinions about this. And I think there was some justification on both sides, because I have some people medically with compromised immune systems that have to have a mask and they have to be very, very careful. And yet I had other people that because of other medical complications to wear a mask was a very hard thing, if not impossible to do. Right, right. So, so, how, so how do you get those people together? Can you even, or do you just give up? Um, you, you know, and, and we even, there was talk of, well, let those come that can and those that don't feel comfortable, don't want to, they don't have to. But that, that seemed like too easy of an answer. You know, how can we reach out to as many as possible, be as inclusive as we can, uh, and still remain safe? And that right. was the challenge. Right. Yeah. You know, 
you know, you have a church here, you know, and it's mm -hmm. it's really probably was probably really hard to figure out social distancing with your congregation. I guess I don't know if you still are or not, but I know for a while there you were actually holding service outside. We still do that. Yes, you still do that. Yeah, when we got together with our team, once again, there were varying opinions on on levels of safety protocols, et cetera. Right. But as soon as we talked about being outside, everyone seemed to be in agreement with that. Right. Now, even out there, there some will wear masks, some don't. We, we do try to practice social distancing, uh, people are more spread out. Uh, one, one of the funny challenges for us is we only have two big trees outside. So everyone tries to stay in the shade because we've had some pretty hot Sundays and thankfully no rain. Yeah. Uh, but we try to take the precautions we can. For me as a pastor, what I was really watching, both in my leadership team and in the congregation, was how people were treating one another. I mean, I'm not an epidemiologist, so I, I'm no expert in what's really going on. Right, I, I, right. I see I what I see, that. and you know, the news is kind of all over the place. But what's critical to me is that I'm seeing people respect and understand one another best possible. Uh, and for us uh, as believers, if I can get religious just for a second, I mean, we, we follow Jesus. And you know, what's unique about him, and I think the religious world, is he sacrificed for his followers. Yes. You know, he died for them. So we're supposed to follow his example. So when we come into this, we should be coming in in a way where we're ready to sacrifice for our brothers and sisters. You know, it's not just about me. Right. Uh, so that's important. So that was what I was watching for in the midst of all of it. And then after that, you know, you do the best you can in the situation you're in and, and work your way through, honestly. Correct. Yeah. I know the, the big thing right now is the children going back to school. Yes. I mean, that's scary. And, you know, it was it was a little difficult for you to figure out how to social distance with the church. So you went outside, you know. You can't take a classroom of 30 or 40 kids and sit there and try to teach them outside. And, you know, there's this assumption that these kids don't get sick. And, you know, we know kids get sick. <laughs> they do. And most of the time they get sick and they bring it home to their parents and stuff like that. Do you think kids should be going back to school right now? Uh, boy, you just dive right into the tough yeah, stuff, I don't did. you? I, yes, I <laughs> yeah, to, yeah. You know, I should have signed a waiver before I came in. Uh, well, you know, funny thing is, two years ago, I was a teacher for about two years uh, in private schools, and I was also in administration in the public school system. Uh, so it's, it's a tough question, isn't it? Here at the church, getting back to that, we have not started children's classes up again. We're just about to try an outdoor class during our church service. But the, the traditional, which we call Sunday schools, we don't do that because we have very small rooms, so it's very hard. So I don't envy the school districts for what they're trying to figure out. Uh, I think we need to be open to alternatives. We've become very settled into the way we do things, for sure. And I think this is opening our eyes to say, are there alternative ways of learning that can be useful here? I'm hoping this is opportunity for us to open our, eye, our eyes to new ways of being. Yeah. So we'll see. I, but once again, I feel for the districts because obviously uh, teachers, parents, you know, everyone's going to have a different opinion of how to do this. Right. And, and kids, you know, they're kids. 
So even if you set up guidelines, there are going to be challenges at time to maintain those. And we're just thinking about the regular classrooms, but how about the classrooms for kids who have uh, special needs or special requirements? Uh, there's a lot of complication to this. And I, I think what concerns me more, and we've already alluded to this, is how we're talking to one another in the midst of all this. Right. You know, how do we come to a rational decision that, uh, Obviously, for leadership, they're not going to please everyone. So there's going to have to be compromises on all sides. And, and frankly, in a situation like this, some sides are going to compromise more than others. Correct. So how do you navigate that and make people still feel that they are heard and they are understood, but provide for safety? Uh, I, I had the same thing. You know, I, I can have a congregation that uh, they might feel one way, but a, as a leader, I'm responsible for them too to, to try and help bring about right decisions. Um, and and I, so I think the, the school district's between a rock and a hard place here where, where they're gonna get hit on either side of it. Uh, I do think socializing the kids is important. So I, I would really be saddened if everything was virtual. Um, there has to be some kind of alternative, I, I think, to get the kids interacting and connecting with one another but we've gotta be Correct. creative about it. I, I wish we could spend less time um, coming into the meeting with our opinions already formed and yeah. come in and say, hey, how can we work on this together and come up with a solution? Right, yeah, we don't, we don't spend enough time actually listening to each other. I, I think that's, that's the issue. Yeah. And I try, uh, I'm not, certainly not tooting my own horn because I, I've got numerous issues myself. They say I have more issues than National Geographic. But, uh, <laughs> um, Right. There are oftentimes where, where I've gone into uh, a debate or a topic that I just wanted to research myself where I picked up books on both sides of the argument because I want to be well read from both perspectives and I try not to insert um, my previous beliefs into it too hard if I can't. You know, we're all human. We make yeah. mistakes. We have bias. But, but I wish we would come in with a more open mind than we do. Yeah, I, th I really think we need to. Yeah, I, I have a, we, we have a, a close family um, and their one child can't wear a mask because of some pulmonary issues. And they've gone into several stores and, and they've explained that and the store said, okay, and they, yeah. they went to, uh, to a local coffee shop and, and they were asked to leave. They said, we just can't be in there. And, and I wonder, and maybe that was just the protocol. And I, if, if so, I understand that. Right. But I think often we'll look at somebody doing something different than us, and we instantly assume or judge. And, right. and I've learned with working with people for years, there's a lot more to the story often. Right. You know? And even if they're wrong, let, let's say they are wrong in what they're doing, yet there are things that had led them to that point where maybe we can offer some grace. And I'm not excusing bad behavior, but if we just tear into everybody for everything, where does that leave us, you know? Yeah. Down bad road. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, my biggest thing with the, with the coronavirus is uh, there hasn't been enough testing, at least not for the average person. Yeah. Okay, uh, especially here in the state of Pennsylvania. I talked to my family doctor several weeks ago. I just I wasn't feeling that good. You know, and she asked me, you know, if I had other symptoms because, like, she's concerned because I have COPD and asthma. Yes. And 
she basically said you need to have three symptoms in order for them to test you. And for a fever, your fever has to be over 102 or 103, I forget what it is. But she said if you have, if you have, you know, health, health issues, they will test you with two things wrong with you. But see now, there being the problem, you know, we're just not testing people. But at the same time, and I'm a huge football fan, there's nothing I want more and I, for football season to happen, okay? But, you know, I was on BaltimoreRavens.com yesterday, and I was reading a report from the Ravens medical doctor. In the past two weeks, they have tested the NFL players 109,000 times. Wow. Because, you know, their, their rosters are expanded to like 90 players right now for each team and they're testing them every day. Why is it, I mean, do you think it's fair that people who are making boatloads of money, okay, these big organizations like the NFL can actually get get their players tested every day, but yet we can't test the everyday citizen and try to find out where this disease is and try to stop it. Yeah, that's the challenge, isn't it? And, and I think that's, that's a systemic problem uh, beyond just COVID. Yeah. It's where society puts its priori priorities. Yes. And, and, and I love football too. Uh, and I'm glad, well, we won't talk teams because we'll get ourselves in trouble. <laughs> um, you know, we, we idolize sports and sports are wonderful, let's be honest. And, and they, they generate a huge income. So there's a lot of money sitting there uh, so they've got the money to do this, and you've got big investors investing in all that, whereas you know, the average person, we don't have that. Uh, and it's, I think it's easy to blame our, our leaders. They're an easy scapegoat, and I'm not saying that they are perfect. And yet we as a society, where do we put our money? How do we prioritize what we put time into, et cetera? So yeah, I, I do wish we had more testing because that's the problem. You, you we're hearing about you know the, how many cases we have each day and, and this and that, and how do we even know any of that's accurate if, if we're not doing the amount of testing that we need Correct. to do? It's tough. Uh, but at the same time, I, I'll say I know what it is to steer a large ship, and it, it's really hard to turn that. You know, it, it's easy to say we need more tests, but you need the resources, the materials, you, you need the distribution system, uh, systems for deciding how those are administered, the, the people that are involved. And, and it does take a lot, and a lot of times you're doing it in an environment where there weren't systems set up for this before. And I don't know if that's the case in this situation or not, I just know there can be a lot of complications to it. But yes, I, I think we need to get focused on this and figure out what right. is it that we need to do here to, to rectify this problem. Right. Yeah. Well, I, th I think uh, the government's biggest thing is, you know, they're, they're producing a vaccine and uh, they want it out by the end of the year. They're, mm -hmm. they're actually rushing, which can sort of be dangerous. You wonder, uh, yeah. And, you know, we see on social media people posting things about vaccines and they're going to microchip you with this vaccine and give you the mark of the beast. Oh, and, yes, yes, and, yes. you know, all this, all this, to me, it's nonsense. 
you know, because we've been getting vaccinated, vaccinated our whole lives. We get vaccinated as a child. You know, they were able to stop smallpox with vaccines, other contagious diseases. I mean, if the biggest, the biggest one and that they've been doing the longest is, I think it's diphtheria. They started doing that in the 1700s. And we don't really think about it because, you know, you're, as a baby, you get vaccinated for it all the time. But if you don't get vaccinated for it, it doesn't necessarily kill, but it leads to birth defects and, you know, children get really sick. They can become paralyzed. Where's your thoughts on that? I mean, when, when, when someone's asked you, you know, do I have to worry about getting the mark from this? Or oh, yeah. Okay. So we, we just talked about that. And, and in a, a few days here, I'll have a... Uh, a more developed uh, lesson out on that because we spoke about that in our congregation. Uh, for believers, where that comes from is the book of Revelation, Revelation 13 yes. and, and a few other passages. And it's funny, for, for the short mention that it gets, it sure does get a lot of press time because it's, it, it, in our society, we, we look for the sensational and, and that's something coming down the pike. And as believers, we believe Revelation will come to pass. And there's a lot of different... Uh, theories on, on how to interpret Revelation. But the mark of the beast specifically, yeah, could it be an RFID chip? It may be a vaccine, maybe. But the least speculation uh, is just what the Bible says. It's a mark that's either on your hand or on your forehead uh, that, that allows you to buy, sell, and trade in a one-world system and shows that you have allegiance to this beast, to this, this antichrist, right. uh, this world leader. So, um, I, you know, do I think it's a vaccine? Probably not, because I, I think the, the mark will be more noticeable than that. Now, this is just conjecture at this point, but part of that mark of the beast was buying into the world system and worshiping this antichrist, this future leader. And it does say that, that he'll be deceptive, you know, and it, we could be deceived, but I think there are other events that have to take place yet for that to happen. So I, I don't think we're at the point yet the, the, the mark of the beast is taking place because the beast isn't here yet. At least he is not revealed. Right. Um, and I, I could say, you know, for other Christians, there are some that, uh, like myself, are what are called pre-tribulationists. And it's a fancy word. All that means is when a lot of this was prophesied in the Bible, it started with Daniel, when Daniel said there would be 77s where God de deals with Israel and the world. And each one of those sevens was a seven-year period. We've believed 69 of them have been completed. We're waiting for this final seven-year period. It's called what's what the Christians call the tribulation. Right. During this time, you'll have the rise of the Antichrist and his false prophet. Uh, you'll see things that appear to be miracles, whether they really are or they're just deceitful, I don't know. Uh, but that's when that takes place, that's when the beast comes on the scene. And he's going to work on peace treaties, and we're going to think there's peace, but then he's going to break those, and that's when uh, things really break loose. And that's when this mark of the beast happens. Right. I think this COVID stuff and other things going on, you know, the Bible just calls that birthing pains, that we're going to see stuff. Jesus warned, he said, look, there's going to be wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, etc. And to me, I think just like real birthing pains, they'll probably become more frequent and more violent as time goes on. But I don't believe we've entered that seven-year period. So, no, I don't think this vaccine is, is the mark of the beast at all. Right. And even the RFID chips, um, I, I don't know that they will be it. 
they raise other moral concerns, obviously. If you get a chip in you, can you be followed? Can this happen? And right now, you know, most RFID chips, they don't have a GPS in them. They just, they have information that can be read just like your credit card can be read or something right. like that. Now, and of course, technology is advancing there and it can certainly be convenient. There are certain companies you can go to now and a door opens automatically for you because you've got the, the chip in you. Um, but then we have to look at the other side of that. How, when does it become an intrusion of privacy? Right? Right. And those are the hard things. If you think even right now, one of the, the saddest things I, I've, I've been following is the disappearance of a local Amish girl. Right? And they have yes. a suspect in custody. And, and I went out with uh, one of the search teams we were looking and it hasn't been found yet. You know, some might say, well, if, if everyone had a chip in them that could be traced, we would know where everybody was. Well, yeah, in that situation, that's true. But at the same time, that can also be used for corrupt purposes. Correct. And all of this, everything we're talking about today, we're talking about the dealings of man. And let's be honest, none of us are perfect. No. We're all corrupt to some level. And the thing, the thing with the RFID chip, too, yeah. is you have to be somewhere where it can be scanned. So... Yeah, you know, yeah. It'd be hard to find a missing person, even with an RFID. Yeah, until that technology advances further. Right. Like right, right. now, the, the cheapest and the passive ones, you know, it's like 10 centimeters, like when you chip your dog or your cat. Uh, I think there's some now that go up to 200 meters, uh, is my understanding, but I'm not up on the latest technology. And they'll continue to improve that. I mean, they've even miniaturized them so small that there was one study done with ants, and they had them glued to ants so they could follow the ants around. Crazy, crazy stuff. Yeah. Well, what's fascinating to me is as we read Revelation, we start to see things come to a point where what's in Revelation, as fantastic as it sounds, is plausible. And that just, as a believer, that, that just strengthens my faith that much more. Right. But I want to be careful too. When, when you get into Revelation, and I mentioned this in my message, uh, it can be easy to, to just sit there and try and figure out an exact timeline based on all of these uh, events in Revelation. And, and it's great to try and work on that, but some of it is just speculation. I think the more important thing for me is what is Christ doing in there and what does that mean I should be doing? You know, it, it's great to have your, a timeline, but more importantly, what are we doing about it? And how are we living? You right. know, and yeah. Yeah. Right. Sorry, we're going all over the place. Yeah, this we morning, are. So we are. We need somebody to keep us in line. I don't think we're going to find anyone. I think it'd be impossible. I really do. I do too. You know, it's just the way my brain works. I don't know. Uh, pretty much saying that's yeah. why we get along and probably shouldn't be together. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of division in the country. Mm. A lot. We see it in, you know, on the news. We hear it on the radio. We hear it in our social media posts, we just see it everywhere. I mean, you can actually post something on social media and 30 people will sit there and say something negative. Yes. You know, uh, you think we're going the wrong direction? I think we're going, yes, but we may have been in this direction for a while, and I think social media has magnified it. I, I right. think there are two things there, Greg. The first one is the social media piece. I think we are immature in our handling of social media. 
Suddenly, I can, I can type something in and anyone around the world can see it. You know, the things we're typing in are beliefs we've probably always had around. Right. But now I, just, I can know what somebody in Kenya is thinking and decide whether I agree or not. Right. Um, so it's, it's been very challenging for me. And, I, and, and lately, I've been limiting my own time on social media, uh, not to judge anybody else, but in judgment of myself because I saw how it was affecting me and my attitude. And I thought, right. I can't have that. So I'm very careful with what I post and even with what I read. Now, I, I don't want to be naive and I don't want to be out of contact because how can I be relevant to people unless I, I know the, the, the issues of the day, Correct. so to speak. Uh, but, but I think the challenge with social media is we are very quick to put things online that you can't always read the emotion from. You don't have somebody's background. And, uh, and also when we're semi-anonymous, uh, it's easy for us to say anything we want to say. And we have to remember, you know, sometimes you're on there with, with people who uh, are, are a lot less mature in, in this area. Um, like I said, we all have things to learn in this. But, but there are a lot of people out there just trying to stir up trouble. Correct. And we run into that. So what's happening is we're going online, and like we talked earlier, we have our mindset of what we agree with and what we don't, and we just see those polar opposites coming together. And sometimes I don't get it because I have friends that are constantly posting their political views, and I, and I can, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what you get is your friends that have the same view, they're gonna go yes, yes, yeah. and then the people that don't like it are gonna go no, no, and you just watch the firestorm come from it. And right. I think, where is that really getting us? I, I much prefer a face-to-face -face conversation, and uh, even so, sometimes people come to me with Christian topics, and, and right away they go, well, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? You know, and, and there's all, all, all the big ones, you know, you know abortion and, and homosexuality and all these others. And, and a lot of times I, I don't want to. So why would I start out a relationship with those conversations? Correct. Can we not get to know each other first so that we can hear each other? And then even if we still disagree, We've already built a relationship that even in our disagreement, maybe we can still have relation. But when we start it with this, this checklist of do you agree with the things I agree with, and if not, I don't want anything to do with you, we're not going to get anywhere. And it seems right. to be getting more and more like that. Right. And then on top of this, so that's the one piece, is we've got to learn better forms of communication. And I, I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing social media. I think there, there's a lot of ways to use it well. We just have to do a better job of doing it. Right. Then the second piece is the grace part. And, and this comes from, for me, my, my following in Christ, because two things, I've realized how much grace I've needed and how much I've been given and, and how much I need to give out. If I may use one example, uh, here at this, uh, at the church, New Danville, where I, where I serve, uh, very old congregation, 300 years, a lot of tradition here, and, and it's, it's a Mennonite church, and uh, we got to the point where we were growing, and we had pews that were 110 years old. And on one hand, they were curved and had a bit of a beauty to them, and on the other hand, they were very uncomfortable and very cramped, and I, I was just concerned that they weren't making the environment that we needed to have. So in talking with our leadership team, we proposed moving to chairs 
padded chairs that would be connected together like a pew. Uh, and we went to the congregation, and I knew when we went there would be a split decision on this. Up to this point in my leadership, everything passed just about unanimous, but I knew that wasn't happening here. And, uh, and that was the case. It was about two-thirds for the chairs and one-third against. And there was some strong discussion. I won't call it heated because people were respectful, but there, there was passion, you know, and, and we should be. We should be passionate about uh, our, our places that are dear to us and important. And yet, on top of that, what's most important is the people that we're with. So anyway, the chairs were approved, uh, the pews were removed, and the chairs showed up one day, and they showed up in the middle of the day, and the only ones who were available that weren't working were uh, some of my older folks who were retired, and some of them were the ones that were against having chairs, and yet they're the ones that came and unloaded the truck. <laughs> and the funny thing is, we had half through unloading, and we realized they were the wrong chairs. And we had to wait for another shipment to come to get the right, right. and they came back. You know, and I asked one of them, I, I said, you know, I, I appreciate that you came and did this, even though you're against the chairs. And they said, you know, we, we, we believe in peace, and that's not just out in the world, but in our hallways, too. Right. You know, sometimes Mennonites are seen as being, you know, well, they're against war. We're against any kind of conflict with one another. We believe in reconciliation. Right. Uh, we, we understand that disagreements happen. So I, I wish we could see more of that happening in social media where we're offering one another some grace and time right. to hear one another, even in disagreement, right. you know? But, but that's tough. So, so the short answer to the question, which is way too late for now, is yeah, I, I do think things are, are continuing to get worse. We're polarizing more and more. Right. You know, I think in this country, we were founded on the idea of we the people, but we're becoming me the person. I have my right. rights. I can do this. Don't step on what I, you know. And I mean that for both sides. You know, some people get that, those statements in their head. They think, oh, yeah, those people. Well, I mean all of us. We're so protective of our own rights. When are we going to start giving up some for the rights of others? Correct. Uh, yeah. But I'll say this. I, I, I'm not so naive as to believe that's a simple thing. It's not. Even if, if we look at... You know, in, uh, when we develop laws, you know, where does our moral code come from? For the believer, the moral code comes from the Bible. God's given us this moral code. If you don't follow the Bible, most people still have a sense of justice, right and wrong. Right. So we have to decide what, do, what does government really regulate and what doesn't it regulate? So we might want to say, well, government should only regulate things that affect other people. So I might not believe in the Bible, but um, I don't have the right to go kill somebody because now I'm, I'm imposing my will on them. Right. So maybe the government only has this set of rules that stops that from happening, right? And then everyone else believes what they want to believe. The problem is we can't even come to that standard of what do we believe is right and wrong and what is imposing on somebody else right. and isn't imposing on them. It, it gets tricky, and that's yeah. part of life, you, right. you know? So I think we have to build character in the midst of those challenges. Right. Yeah. We, we, we see a lot of partiality. We do, whether it be... I agree. Republican side, Democrat side, you know, we stick here, you know, we don't look at... Uh, 
we don't try to see the other side's issues. Uh, perfect example, the Black Lives Matter movement right now. Yeah. You know, there's people out there, and I do not agree with this at all. There are people should not be burning down buildings. They should not be spray painting stuff and stuff like But they have the right to protest. And black people, let's be honest, they've gotten a raw deal. They have. They have really gotten a raw deal. I mean, I've worked in places where we didn't even have any black people. And if they did get hired, if they would hire one, they weren't there long because the white people would chase them out. Okay? So, you know, black people have gotten a raw deal. And I think, in a way, they have, a lot of them have turned to crime, you know, in order to make a living. Now, that's wrong, but, you know, something needs to be done about that. And, you know, we just can't do it as people. We, we really need government to step in a little bit and say, and this isn't happening. It's, it's really not. Like with the protests themselves, there has been nobody to sit there and say, well, we hear you. We're going to help you. We're going to do something about this. I mean, someone, a president, he decided to do a photo op with a Bible, which he held upside down and backwards. You know, you would think he would have took that Bible, opened it up, read a verse out of it, because I'm pretty sure there's something in there, you know, that he could have spoke about. He says he's a good Christian person, that he could have spoke about to try to calm things down. And he hasn't. All he's done is, you know, he, they, they, they chase people out with tear gas and they rough some people up in order for him to have that photo shoot. Yeah, yeah <laughs> and I, I can't... I can't answer to that. I, you know, I see what I see in the media, and it's hard to interpret some things. But I, I think it's opening our eyes to a lot because, you know, a lot of us we're on there complaining that that no one's standing up for for you know whatever group or whatever thing there is, and yet we're all typing those those messages on phones that are being made by people that are working for what probably amounts to almost slave labor in, in tough shops. And I, so I, th I think there's a lot more of that injustice than we realize. And in the West, you know, we've had it pretty good. And I'm not saying we don't all struggle. Everyone struggles and there's horrible things happen over here. But in the rest of the world, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's even worse. There yes. are so many who suffer. And, and that's... That's what breaks your heart. You, you look at the sex trafficking and everything else going on and, and, and some of the people that you know, we even deal with in the church, the stories we hear, uh, it, until we get to a point where we learn to respect one another. And, and here's the problem with that, because Greg, you're right. We, 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 hope, we hope that in a political system, we can find a way to stand up for the rights of people. Now, we have to understand that anyone we put in the political system, they're only one part of that system, and, and everyone in there makes mistakes, and they're not perfect either. Right. Yet we hope, bringing it together as a whole, it will move us forward as a society. And, and yet we're finding time and time again that that's a real challenge to do. For me, and, and once again, I, you know, I get religious, I, I think... I really personally believe what, you know, we need to turn to God and get our hearts right because that's what's really at issue here is our hearts. People are making bad choices on all sides and people are making bad non-choices 
on all sides, you know, that we are not caring enough for one another. Right. Uh, and, and I think a lot of this, you know, the f coming back to the family, uh, building good, strong families, encouraging that and finding ways to help one another so that as we get older, we, we try to make better decisions, you know? Right. And even if we don't, you know, we're always going to run into somebody who's going to make the wrong decision. But how will we have built ourselves up to handle that okay? So now I've been wronged. How, how do I appropriately respond to that wrong? Uh, and it's tough because it doesn't seem like very many of us are, are doing that. You know, even I myself, I, I've got to be careful. I, I've gotten a little, some of this anger has really gotten into me some, even when I'm driving. And, you know, driving's a whole nother issue and somebody yeah. cuts me off or doesn't use their turn signal and, and right away I'm really angry at them. But if I'm honest, how perfect is my driving, you know? Yeah. But I, I think there's this underlying anger going on. And, and I truly believe, even if we resolved a lot of these issues right now, I don't know that that anger would immediately go away. Right. I, there is a lot of dissatisfaction in the world. If you think about it, while we are incredibly imperfect, we've come a long way in a lot of areas. And yet, despite how far we've come, people don't seem any more satisfied. It seems to me they're even less satisfied. Right. Uh, the amount of stuff we have isn't helping. Uh, the amount of freedoms or rights we have isn't the solution. There's something missing in the heart, and I think we Correct. need to find that. Correct. I really do. So, yeah. You know, they people, even if people don't believe in Christ, God, mm -hmm. even if they don't believe, you know, I would encourage them, non-believers, to at least read the New Testament of the yeah. Bible. You know, if you don't want to read the whole thing, at least read the New Testament because the New Testament really teaches us how to be good human beings. Yes. It does. It teaches us about love and respecting one another, caring about one another. And too often we get away from that. You know, like you said earlier, we just it's all about me or I'm in my own little box and my, you know, only, the only thing that matters is what happens inside my house, you know, with my family, my mm -hmm. friends. And a lot of it, you know, someone could like, for example, I'll use myself as an example. I, I used to have friends get hurt, become disabled. A lot of them friends aren't around anymore. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? So, you know, we have huge problems with this. We, we really do. And I, I, really, I really believe that people should turn more to the Bible. And, you know, one of the, I picked out a verse here out of the Bible. It's called the sin of partiality from the book of James. I know you know it. Mm -hmm. But I'll read it here. And you can tell me how it makes you feel. Sure. You know. Oh, well, I, know, I know how it makes me feel. But uh, it says, uh, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of, Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby, clo shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. 
Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Oops, it scrolled up on me too far. <laughs> which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blasphemy the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, and this is important here, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do, do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Yeah. Now, I don't want people to get stuck on the adultery and murder thing because th this really talks about all of it. Yeah. So what does that bring to mind to you when, when you hear that as being a pastor? Yeah, it, you know, well, first off, it's just true. It's wonderful. Yes. And I think you're right. Even if, if you're somebody who who hasn't found Jesus, I think if you read through the New Testament, you can find some incredibly wonderful moral values to find. I know some people get hung up on the Old Testament, et cetera, and that goes beyond what we can talk about today. Uh, but it, is, it would be so great if we could just truly live that. You know, the challenge sometimes is we don't take to un time to understand one another culturally. If I can give an example, you know, sometimes it's a struggle for the church to know when to give aid and when not to. And you know what I mean by that? At the church, sometimes we'll get calls from people just out of the blue. Can you give me money? Can you pay my rent? Uh, and they're not really looking to us as a church. They're looking at us like an ATM. Right. Um, because if you think about the church, when we say the church, we, I, we get this idea of an institution. But what is the church really? It's a group of people. So these people come in and they, they, they give this money and they want to use it to see Christ's name go forth. And, and they do it out of duty to God. And, uh, and yes, it does say, you know, to, to take care of the poor and, and sometimes to reach the poor or other people, you, you've got to meet them where they are. Like Jesus fed the, the, the 5,000, you know, after he preached, he said, let's meet their physical needs, not just their spiritual needs. Right. But, but then, like I say, you, so you have this challenge, you have somebody that calls, <laughs> that doesn't know you, wants nothing to do with you and just says, give me money. And then you never hear from them again. And, and what do you do about that? And, and we struggle as we should. Right. Because on one end, we want to be good stewards of that money and have the money when we really need it for somebody who really needs help. And especially if somebody calls, they say they need it. We can't verify they're using it for what they say they're using it for. I mean, there's just all kinds of stuff. Well, the one day a lady called and uh, she, she said, um, I need sneakers for my son so we can go back to school. And I thought, well, how do you turn down a request like that? And I said, uh, certainly, we'll, we'll get him a pair of sneakers. And, and she said, well, it's a special pair of sneakers. They're $55. He only wants this one particular kind. 
And I, I thought, you know, my, my, my gut instinct was say, well, really? You know, my kids don't wear $55 sneakers. Right. You know, what do I do about that? And, and we did and we didn't help because she wanted just that particular pair. But as I hung up, you know, I, I didn't want to just have that attitude of, you know, what are they thinking? Kind of, you know, crass attitude. Because, you, you know, culturally for some, sneakers are a very valuable commodity in, in our society. I don't understand it personally. No, I don't either. But there are some, you know, you see NBA stars, et cetera, that wear the, these great sneakers, and, and they are important, and, and they're a piece of self-esteem. And I'm not saying that's right, but I'm saying culturally it's relevant for certain people. When I say culture, that doesn't necessarily mean race. It, it just means what, the culture that they happen to be in, you, you know. Um, so while we did not meet that need, I didn't want to just blow it off either because I want to understand the people who call and I want to be able to reach out, you know. Another one that, that, that woke me up, I, I volunteered for, um, uh, what's that program? I can't think of the name right now where they have Christmas presents. You come in and you pick them out and they get wrapped for you and uh, it's not Operation Christmas Tree. I, I forget. It's, it's the one done by, um, I think, the Marine Corps. Toys for Tots. Yes. And so I volunteered my day and I went in and I'm wrapping these toys and handing them out. And I have these people coming through the line who qualified for these toys. And while I'm wrapping the presents, they're texting and talking on these cell phones that are far better than mine. <laughs> and some of the cars in the parking lot are far better than mine. Right. And I'm thinking, what's wrong with this picture? You, you know? Right. So it, it's easy to get that crass mentality because certainly there are going to be some that take advantage of the system. Right. There are going to be some that have a desperate need and there are going to be some that are somewhere in the middle where just culturally certain things are more important than others. And they might have a wonderful cell phone better than mine, but they might live in a house that's a ramshackle. Right. But for me, in, in the culture I grew up, I'm looking at that and going, well, okay, so you've got this great phone. You don't need any help. You're getting better than I am. Right. But that might not be the case. And that's where it comes down, again, to having to listen and to know people. Right. And until we do that, it's going to be hard to follow what James said, because I think we've lost our love for people. And we need to start loving people again if we're going to get anywhere. And, and I think this James passage should convict us, because let's face should. it, we all have some prejudices. And yes. they go beyond race, they go to class, they go to upbringing, gender, everything. When are we going to start loving first? Uh, and for believers especially, you know, it, Jesus called us to be his witnesses, uh, not, not to judge. Right. You go in the courtroom, the judge judges the case. The witnesses just tell what they've seen. They try to bring truth. And I think we have to remember as believers, that's our goal is to bring truth and be witnesses, not to right. be judges. Doesn't mean we can't call out wrong when we see it. But if we're not doing it in love, you know, we give the truth, we don't launch it like a missile. Right. You know, but the problem is we don't take the time for that anymore. Right. So I think your, your verse there is very apropos for today's society. Yeah, it is. We need to care for one another. Yes, we do. And we also have to admit our own failings because we've all got them. Yes. It's easy to, to be blindsided by this. Right. Uh, you know, one I remember, and I apologize, I know we're probably running long on time, is in the book of Daniel. You know, Daniel was taken away, his, his land was conquered, and his people were taken away, so he was taken to a foreign palace to be a servant. 
And in the midst of that, he's praying for Israel uh, that they'll, they'll be restored again. And that's, that's when he got some of these visions of the 77s and everything. And one of his prayers is, oh Lord, forgive us. And he laments for his people. Now, Daniel has been doing all the right stuff. He was just a teenager in the middle of all this. He gets taken to a foreign country, and he still lives out God's edicts. So he's living the way he should, yet he goes to God and he says, I'm sorry for what my people have done. He's taking ownership for some stuff that he didn't even do himself. And I think we need to have that same kind of humble spirit and say, you know what? There's been a lot of wrong done. What can we do to start making it better? Got it. That's a pretty good way to sum it up. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's about all I have. Do you? Uh, no, I think it's been wonderful, and I, and I appreciate the talk. And um, yeah, for me, I, I just—it's easy to get caught up in the political part of it, and and I get that. But I think each of us as individuals have to decide what can what can we do to change the world some. Yes. And let's start doing that. Yes, we do. It, it, we just can't stay in our own little box anymore. <laughs> yeah. We, you know, we can't. And certainly vote your conscience whatever way you vote. You know, I, I get it. Um, but we need less complaining and more doing. Right. Sure. Yeah. Thank you for letting me be yeah, on today. Thank you really for your time. It. Yeah, I hope we do it again soon. Me too. Thank you. And that was Pastor Robert Brody of New Danville Church. You know, I think now more than ever, we really need to find God. And for those of you who have already found God, what would Jesus want us to do in these challenging times? What is your heart saying we should do? I already know what he's saying to me. Thank you for listening. Till next time, blessings.